Welcome to another Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. I'm Travis Tyler. Today I'm joined by RJ. We're going to discuss the second round of this Euros. So with Group A, we've got Turkey versus Wales. Turkey pulled off a 2-0 win. That doesn't sound right. I think Wales won. Um, And Italy defeated Switzerland 3-0. Ethan Ampadu came on late for Wales. And Georgino started and went the entire 90. So, RJ, what are your thoughts about the Azuri? Are, are they the favorites now? Well, it's a difficult one, Travis. And good morning, good afternoon to you and to all our listeners. For me, I think, as I was saying before we started recording, I had tipped Italy at the start of the Euros, give partly because of my heritage, but partly because I believe in that the momentum that they've generated prior to this tournament has been something that's probably been underappreciated by outside onlookers. So, look, again, 3-0 result against a different type of opposition in Switzerland because, to the Swiss's credit, I felt that unlike Turkey, who on a side note have been quite underwhelming given that a lot of people had given them a bit of a rap before this tournament, Switzerland did try to impose their style of play in parts against Italy and at times, being objective and balanced like we like to be on here did cause the Azuri a couple of nervy moments here and there. But for the most part, it was a very controlled, composed, and ultimately very effective performance from Mancini's men. And at the heart of that was the metronome in Jorginho, who, like you said, he played a full game. He didn't look like a player that had just played a full season and finished up with a Champions League high-octane clash. And he's just someone that continues to really, under the right setup and the right players around him that understand what he brings and how he thinks, he's just that kind of player that when he's on, the whole team is on. And he can be a real point of difference without being necessarily the actual playmaker. But he's someone that's really good at doing the, the pre-assists, if you will, with those key passes and building up nicely from the back and just helping tick things over and getting people in the right positions. So he's a playmaker in that respect that he moves the chess pieces along the board very subtly but nicely. And even defensively, what I've liked about him, Travis, is that he's been really busy in that area of the field. Like, obviously, as a defensive mid, you're going to have to contribute in that part of the game. But when it's been required... He hasn't been someone that at times where he's been criticised for being dribbled past because he hasn't been physically blessed. But he's been very effective in terms of committing those tackles and those interceptions. So, yeah, in terms of Italy, can they go all the way? If him playing at top form, you've got to say for sure they're, they're definitely right up there. Yeah, I think what really stands out to me about Italy the most is just how flexible they are overall. They don't have one solution to any issue they'll they'll play a long ball in behind they'll break a team down and uh, do through balls through them they'll cross it they have all these ideas that you don't normally see from international teams you normally see international teams with not necessarily just one idea but much fewer ideas than Italy are showing right now and you know Georgino's stats are insane for this tournament so far but even still you can't really say he's been Italy's best player. You can't really say who has been because they've all been excellent. 
Exactly. It's such a great point because we were having this debate last night about who's been our best or Italy's best. And like you said, there's a case for Jorginho, there's a case for Locatelli, there's a case for um, Barella in some respects. So it's just they're all – everybody's just doing their role. So, yeah, Mancini's doing a really great job to get them to act cohesively and show that flexibility, like you say. Yeah, I mean, they, they've just been fantastic. And also with Wales in this group, I thought Wales had a very good game against Turkey too. Um, you keep hearing about how Turkey are dark horses on our feeds, which I never really got the sense of. But even still, Wales were all over them. I wish we could have seen more of Ethan Ampadu. And I, I, I do want to see more of him. I hope he has some good seasons to come. That's the Turkey change and Joe Allen makes way as Ethan Ampadu comes on for him. Yeah, he's done well, Joe Allen. Much better performance tonight. We're exceptionally hard. Maybe Robert Page just seen that at times Joe Allen was wanting to go and engage, press a little bit high, just leaving little gaps. But done well. I think it's the right call from the manager. Do you have anything on that Wales one before we move on? Yeah, just quickly, I concur with your comments. I thought after the first game against Switzerland, I thought, you know, this is going to be one a bit of a shaky one for the Welsh to bounce back from. But they really played well against Turkey, who I thought, you know, again, if there's a consistent theme from the campaign so far is for as good as Italy has been, Turkey's been pretty much the polar opposite based on expectation and end versus reality gap. And I just felt overall Wales, they performed pretty well against Turkey that game. And I know we're not here to review match day three, but as a bit of a sneak peek, I thought that they were quite resilient against Italy and they had that harsh call, in my opinion, putting bias aside. But it was nice to see Ampadu play well. And even during the Italy game, he defended quite well with his teammates. So, yeah, promising signs for from a Chelsea point of view, at least, that he he's played pretty well individually. Moving on to Group 3, Denmark versus Belgium. Belgium did pull off a 2-1 win, but that doesn't really tell the full story of that because Denmark were on fire in the first half. It helps that Kevin De Bruyne can come on and put in the master class he did, but you know, Denmark really were hard done by that at the end of it. Uh, Chelsea were represented by Andreas Christensen playing in a back three, which he doesn't do with Denmark very often, but what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think you summed it up nicely is that the end result was a, a Belgian victory, but you know, unfortunately, the game doesn't reflect the good effort that Denmark had put in prior to that because it, the game changer, obviously, was the De Bruyne substitution because Mertens was quite ineffective before he'd come on and the Danes and Christensen were all playing their part pretty well and, and looked pretty solid. I thought they were good value for their lead at the time and it just looked like this might be one of those results where I... I wasn't confident that Denmark were going to win it, but I thought that they were going to walk away with a draw here, which could have set them up nicely. But it's one of those things where we've been um, burnt by the players that we've let go in the past, in De Bruyne and, and Bukaki, or even you know, the Hazards all strung, strung well together. So it was a bit of a Chelsea rendezvous of yesteryear. So, yeah, overall, it's one of those games where the scoreboard didn't necessarily reflect what, what transpired in front of us, but it just goes to show you when you've got world-class players at your disposal and one's in form like De Bruyne at the time, even though you lost the Champions League, sometimes you can pull a bit of a rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, group D is our Chelsea heavy group. Croatia tied the Czech Republic 1-1. Mateo Kovacic played most of the match. Any thoughts on that one? The Croatia game, I was, ex- I was expecting a little bit more from them. I know that the, the Czechs were buoyed by their great results, spearheaded by Patrick Schick and his worldy, but I felt... You know, Croatia at times, while they enjoyed a bit, uh, some nice possession and had a bit of a rhythm at times, for me, almost similarly back in clubland, they just really lacked that focal point up front because Rebic at the moment to them just hasn't been delivered on the goods. And although Perisic scored a good goal, it's one of those things where, you know, Kovacic continues to be, you know, on one hand, you think, oh, this guy... He's a serious baller, as the as the kids like to say these days. But on the other hand, it's just you know a lack of end product. And I know people turn around and say, "Well, that's not directly his job." But if that's not directly his job, but indirectly he's meant to help create it, then like the team, he's partially accountable. But the overall, I'm just thinking from their point of view, I don't I don't write them off for getting a result in the final day and advancing. But it's, I, was ex, I was expecting a little bit more from Croatia given the, that strength of that midfield. So, yeah, no, it was quite an interesting one. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I agree. Croatia, they, ha- they have a lot of very good players on the ball, but they really lack that final product. And, you know, Kovacic wasn't great, but if, you know, people are kind of complaining about the same old stuff that he doesn't have an end product. But there's only so much he can do with the team he's with right now. It looks more and more like the World Cup was more of an outlier for Croatia than an actual coming of age, I suppose. But the good thing about the Euros is you can play pretty badly and still advance because of how third place works, which might be good news for England or Scotland as they drew 0-0 in their match. Reese James played. Uh, not particularly well, but he played. Mason Mount played very well. And Billy Gilmore showed why he should be Billy Belon de Gore. Gilmore, he was fantastic. Billy Gilmore was man of the match last night on his first start for Scotland against England. His captain, Andy Robertson, was amongst many admirers. My God, woof, right up there, right up there. I spoke to him in the hotel today and, I, you know, I just looked at him and, you know, to be fair to Billy, nothing phases him, you know, and that's why, you know, I believe he can have as many caps as he wants for Scotland. Um, he's got a huge, um, you know, he's got a huge future ahead of him, but the here and now is pretty good as well. And today, him and, you know, Calvin McGregor as well, both of them in the holding role were, were magnificent. In his first ever Scotland start, he won man of the match and dominated. So what are your thoughts on an otherwise pretty awful game? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because beforehand, um, I was quite convinced that England, despite not playing superbly against Croatia, that they're going to take the positive momentum by beating a pretty notoriously difficult team and build on that against Scotland, who I thought Scotland were quite good against the Czechs. Just similarly with Croatia, they just lacked that focal point up top, but I thought they got some good energy. I was expecting England to walk away with a hard-earned victory, but you know, credit to Scotland and spearheaded by, as we like to dub him, the the Scottish Iniesta and Billy Gilmore. I thought he was, like you said, he was very instrumental in keeping the structure there and 
and really kept England at bay. I do think that part of that was probably a bit of over-pragmatism by Southgate in terms of the way they'd set up and thought he could have been a little bit more experimentational and even with some of the attacking choices, I have to question some of them or small questioning some players that haven't been given a bit of a look in in terms of the Sanchez of the world and Grealish's of whether or not the double pivot of Rice and, and Phillips, was that really necessary for this type of game where you could reasonably expect how Scotland were going to frustrate and, and appear to sort of try to hit them on the break. So you do wonder if they were stifled a little bit by that, but try not to diminish too much of Scotland's quality because they showed in terms of like in this tournament that you can't take any games for granted. And one of those things there where some teams I know will try to gain their way throughout their competition and avoid certain heavyweights is that even if you avoid a heavyweight, it doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to get through. But yeah, Billy Gilmore, I saw a stat, I think it was yesterday, that his, his debut appearances in the Premier League FA Cup and now here have all been men of the match performances. And I just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing if Scotland can get a result and he gets another couple of games, does that give the Chelsea board and Marine are something to think about in terms of their hot pursuit for any further central midfielders, or even if they do, does it give them something to think about in terms of do we keep Billy in our ranks or do we go and loan him just to take advantage of his good form? So it's definitely something of a watch this space, but yeah, Mason Mount, he was very good. I thought if there was anyone likely to make something happen for England, he was it. He did missed that chance in the first half, I believe, where the cutback happened, but it was coming at him at a really difficult pace, so it was difficult to get control over. But overall, he was quite strong. Like I said, Reese James, he started, had a couple of okay moments, but he didn't positively impact the game that he probably would have wanted to have. But I think that's just a byproduct of the team overall that didn't really turn up against the hungry Scotland. For a 0-0 game that was pretty awful, there are a lot of storyline to look at for us. I would love Billy Gilmore to stay next season, but he can't play as little as he did. He had five Premier League appearances and I think 11 total last year, and he needs to be closer to 25-30 to really grow into the player he needs to grow into. Yeah, I agree. He needs those minutes, I think. Otherwise, it's, it's a waste of talent just sitting on the bench, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I've watched a lot of youth players over the years. And none of them have convinced me the way Billy Gilmore did as quickly as he did. I mean, he's just fantastic. And that's definitely not something we want to lose. Mason Mount is again showing that he's the most important player for club and country. Everything ticks around him. That shouldn't really be too much of a surprise. I think Reese James kind of showed why maybe we're looking for another wing back and looking to convert him to another position. And again, it might have been the tactics. He does seem kind of passive for the role he was playing. And maybe that was just tactics, but I don't know. I I think Gareth Southgate, I kind of understand the criticism more after that last match. Before, I would have just gone with my normal that he's kind of been harshly treated by English fans who all have different club players they want to see. and just different expectations that don't really meet the reality of where England's been for decades. But 
I mean, you are playing Scotland and you're the favorite and no one really, no one really clicked in a way that made you think it was going to look any better than it was. I mean, Harry Kane was as awful as I think I've seen him. And I've seen some suggestion that he has an injury, but even still, when you have a player like Harry Kane and he's just as completely, I don't want to say useless because that sounds very harsh, but just as out of the game as he was and the subs made are just so pragmatic. And I don't know. I, I feel like England could be better than they are, but not much better. But even still, it seems like they were held back a bit here. Yeah, I agree. I think as well, um, even Raheem Sterling playing 90 minutes, it's, it's quite clear that he wasn't as effective as Southgate thinks he could be. I'm not saying he hasn't been trying, but England, what's a lot of um, commentary about them is how great their depth is, but we're not really seeing that. And that's a another sort of, if you're going to pick a squad, you need to have some faith in them. And um, on one hand, Southgate deserves some praise for the Croatia game and then strategically managing that one, but equally deserves to have questions asked about why they didn't get the job done against the team that they should have been more respected in Scotland. So it'll be interesting to see how they pick up their final group game, but some have suggested cheaply that perhaps that this is where they want to be and they don't necessarily want to finish first given that their potential opponents lie in a group of death, but Personally speaking, I don't buy into that gamesmanship because as a professional, I'd, I'd like to think that there's some integrity there and that they'd want to have that momentum and want to win all their games getting into the business end of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, if England's going to win it, they're going to have to play a big team. So delaying it doesn't really do it much. Going on to Group E, that was a group that could have featured a Chelsea player but didn't. Sweden versus Slovakia, 1-0. Sweden... Uh, got one over the line. Uh, not quite as good as their first match, but enough to get the job done. And Spain versus Poland, a 1-1 where Spain continue to look like death by a thousand passes. And there's nothing more to that to be said. Uh, Lewandowski was the difference for Poland, which shouldn't really be all that surprising. On to Group F, Hungary put up a pretty good fight against France to get their 1-1. Conte went the entire game. Giroud came on as a sub. Any thoughts on that one? Just on that one, I thought it's a, it's nice to recognise that against the David versus Goliath match, Hungary had really shaken up the composition of this group now, so credit to them for making this even more interesting somehow. But I thought France were very inefficient in front of goal. Like they had, I believe, 15 shots, only four on target versus Hungary's three on target and obviously scored first. And while France were good for their equaliser, I just thought this is one of those games where France have this tendency where they start off slow, but they need to build up quickly throughout a tournament. I just, I wonder whether or not and my, my good friend Scott, who's an avid Arsenal and French supporter, he questions whether or not the likes of Benzema has disrupted that chemistry up top because he was, as we know, at Real Madrid, he was indispensable and very instrumental in helping them have the good season that they had in La Liga. But in France, we all know how effective Giroud has been. And obviously, there's been recent talk with a bit of potential disharmony with some comments in with Mbappe of exchange, blah, blah, blah. But 
even when he came on, I thought that his link-up play and hold-up was a lot sharper than what Benzema has. And I'm not here to say Benzema's not a quality player, but I'm just wondering whether or not Deschamps in the next game looks at that and thinks maybe Giroud starts this one because we seem to be a little bit more coding up top when he's our focal point. So, yeah, on Kante quickly, he's, again, he's doing his job in terms of keeping that middle nice and sturdy, but the goal that they conceded, that was, you know, something there that was a bit of a free breakaway. But overall, the French representation for Chelsea uh, aren't playing too bad, although it would be nice to see Zuma getting some more minutes and that even if it helps with potential transfer fees, but we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I, I'm all on the Benzema is probably a little too much of an issue. Not, not necessarily saying he's causing problems, but so much of international management is having just the right group of guys together as much as the best guys. And it obviously was working for France without him. So to bring him back and suddenly Giroud goes from the surefire starter to on the bench, you know, maybe that's just enough to cause the issues. I mean, we've already seen the whole, suppose that Mbappe wanted to hold a press conference about Giroud and not being able to service him enough or whatever ridiculousness it was. But France has a bit of a bad habit of winning a tournament or two and then just kind of imploding at the next one. And maybe the cracks are just appearing a little bit. They have Portugal last, so... It could be very make or break for them. Yeah, it'll be a cracking game, that one, because, you know, we're going to talk about Germany and Portugal now. But it's funny because both France and Portugal have some very strong attacks. But after what we saw in the Portugal-Germany game, on which we had some representatives from, from a German point of view at least, I do question whether or not the likes of a CR7-led Portugal have enough what it takes to go really deep, given that how shaky they were against a, a pretty red-hot or white-hot German. What do you think? France is really going to have to put up a fight when they play Portugal because even though Portugal got kind of blasted away by Germany, they still looked pretty good defensively. And I mean, these two teams can't just sit off each other and try to counter one another. That's not going to work. Someone's going to have to come and play, and especially with... I mean, they'll probably advance through third no matter who gets it in this group. But even still, you'd rather know that you're advancing in first or second. But anyway, this Portugal-Germany match, it was easily the match of the round. Germany won 4-2. Antonio Rudiger played all the match. Uh, He didn't nibble on anyone this time, but he was still pretty Rudiger. Okay, uh, we've got to move on to this really important story because this was shocking. Paul Pogba's claim that Antonio Rudiger nibbled him, nibbled him in the back. It was a little, it's just a bit of a mouth, wasn't it? Like a like a gum more than anything. It's just a bit of playful banter between two <laughs> Is that mates. What you lot do? Yeah, that's that's oh, literally what we do. Yeah, bite each other in training. Have that. a little, have a little nibble. Um, if you missed it last night, it was during their game. Obviously, France taking on Germany, in which France won. Kai Havertz played fantastically and maybe makes. Some think that we don't need a striker if Kai can do that more. Timo Werner didn't get to come on, but you know Germany didn't really seem to need any other source of goals. Uh, what do you think about Germany and Portugal? Yeah, how good was um, as a, 
with habits, I like to say to a few friends, it's the Kai before the storm. We're seeing this young German star rising. He's had a good back into the Chelsea campaign, obviously by one pretty important moment. We can all appreciate, I'm sure. But overall, I thought he was quite dynamic. And even in the first game against friends, I thought they did a good job in marking him out of the game. But he had a few moments where I thought, oh, if he got a little bit of luck or if the touch was a little bit sharper, all of a sudden he's having a bit more of a positive impact and becomes a positive headline. But against Portugal, yeah, he became a headline because of how strong his performance was. And to your point about does his good form potentially cancel the urgency of Chelsea to go hungry for a striker? Maybe, you just don't know. It's just if he comes in, absolutely puts another couple of goals away and ends up finishing up with five or half a dozen goals, all of a sudden, you've got this young guy, he's fast, he's tall, he's got the touch, he can play in the striker position. Perhaps then it's it's not so radical that they do proceed with him. I don't think that's what's going to unfold, but you just don't know if these types of tournaments, what, what it can do for a player in terms of any, in terms of its transfer plans. But yeah, he was quite good in Rudiger as well, defended quite strongly. He looks like a different person again under Tuchel and Long may that continue. It looks like he's playing for a, a final contract because he hasn't signed any extensions, so we'll have to see. Hopefully that motivates him to perform strongly. But in terms of Timo Werner, I was a little bit disappointed not to see him because I, I was hoping that we can use this tournament to act as a bit of a springboard heading into the off-season because I'm expecting big things for him come next campaign, given that he's the one that had some positive impact for Chelsea, but obviously had some pretty big talking points about how inefficient he was in front of goal. Like Benzema talking about players coming back in, you got Thomas Muller's come back, and that kind of pushed Timo out of the side, which I expected him to push Kai out of the side, actually, just because of how similar their styles are. But I don't know. I mean, like you said, Kai was fantastic. I wrote an article this morning or yesterday after the game, whenever it was basically saying like the performances of our players in this Euros and even in the end of last season, is kind of getting us into a place where we don't need signings. I mean, obviously we should make them. We shouldn't, shouldn't win the champions league and then not sign anybody, but we don't need anyone. And I think that kind of plays into this whole Hakimi and Erling Holland stuff where It'd be nice to have them, but we're not going to be terrible next season if we don't. If anything, we're going to be better because Tuchel will have another, we'll have a full preseason with these guys. Things will really start to click with who he has. So, yeah, if, if the worst case scenario is Kai Havertz has to play striker next season because we couldn't get one, that's still a really good scenario that a lot of other clubs would love to have. Any closing thoughts on this round? Yeah, well, just on that one, from a Chelsea point of view, given this is what we primarily are here, I think that's a good point in terms of if some of these players, like your Billy Gilmore's or your Kai Havertz's or your Jorginho's, whoever, whoever the Chelsea contingent are, if they have a strong tournament, it helps us effectively in our bargaining position because, like you said, if, if Dortmund or Inter, whoever don't want to cooperate, we can always turn around and say, well, clearly something's working for us. We do want to buy your players, but if we don't, we're not going to, as I say, die on a hill over it. So 
I think that's quite important to show the club just how strong its position is, that we're not desperate for these players, even though we know that the Premier League is a long season and we're going to compete on multiple fronts. It's good to have players that are performing across each position. So, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be very exciting to see how we go. In terms of any final comments, I'm really excited for the conclusion of the group stages and, yeah, looking good for the Azuri, but still early days. And I'm really keen to see what happens with not just the rest of the Chelsea contingent, but just in terms of some of those other spots that are up for grabs in those remaining groups, particularly the group of death and their England group as well. Yeah, absolutely. I More than anything, I just want to get this whole third place thing out of the way so I know who's advancing to the front because that's really complicated. But anyway, that'll do us for the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast today. Thank you for listening and keep the blue flag flying high.